Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with Alan Shearer, Micah Richards and me, Gary Lineker. Uh, this is not our usual podcast or output. It's uh, not so much an emergency podcast, but more of a special podcast because the person we're going to be talking about is, I think, a very special person. Um, he is uh, a certain Roy Hodgson who has resigned as manager of Crystal Palace following a second visit recently to hospital. The good news is he's now home and uh, feeling better, uh, but he has stepped back and tonight's important game at Goodison Park will be overseen by Ray Lewington and Paddy McCarthy. Uh, what a career Roy has enjoyed. Let me start by reading out the clubs that he's managed. He started at Halmstadt. Um, he then went to um, Bristol City as an assistant manager um, before being the main manager of Bristol City. He then went to a club called Odevold, then Orebro, Malmo, uh, Neuchatel Samax, then the Switzerland national team. Um, then he went to Inter Milan, back to Blackburn Rovers, back to Inter as caretaker manager, uh, Grasshoppers, Copenhagen, Udinese in Italy, United Arab Emirates, Viking, Finland, Fulham, Liverpool, West Bromwich Albion, Crystal Palace, Watford and Crystal Palace again. He was, of course, also in there, the England manager for a while. It uh, wasn't ultimately uh, successful, but I think it's fair to say he didn't enjoy the depth of talent that is now available to Gareth Southgate. The club statement uh, was as follows. Uh, Crystal Palace Football Club can confirm that Roy Hodgson has stepped down from his post as first team manager. Roy Hodgson said, this club is very special and means so much to me and has played a big part in my footballing life. I have fully enjoyed my time here across six seasons as it has given me the chance to work with top class players and staff doing what I love every day. However, I understand given recent circumstances, it may be prudent at this time for the club to plan ahead 
And therefore, I have taken the decision to step aside so that the club can bring forward their plans for a new manager as intended for this summer. I would like to thank Steve Parrish and his American partners for their support, along with my coaching staff and backroom team who have helped me so much along the way. In particular, a huge thank you to my long-term friend and assistant, Ray Lewington, coaches Dean Keeley and Paddy McCarthy, plus the excellent sports science, video analysis and medical departments. My thanks and respect also to the current squad of players who have been a pleasure to work with. They're a credit to the club and themselves. I'm certain that our fans will continue to give their full support to their team for the remainder of the season and beyond. I am confident that the season will finish well and I wish the team every success in the weeks and months and seasons to come. Uh, As classy as always, Roy. The club said they would like to thank Roy for his outstanding service in which he managed 200 games across six seasons. Chairman Steve Parrish said... Roy has a special place in Crystal Palace history and this will never be forgotten. After four years in which he led the club to maintaining Premier League status season after season, he once again joined us nearly a year ago to steady the ship and worked wonders. That he then agreed to continue in the summer speaks volumes about his commitment to our club. Quite simply, we owe our continued Premier League status to Roy. I would like to thank Roy enormously for his service and wish him the very best for the future. It's fair to say Roy has the keys to Selhurst Park and will always be welcomed back. On a personal note, I would also like to thank Roy for his support, his professionalism and his friendship. He's been the manager for half of the time we've been in the Premier League. I've enjoyed working with him and learning from him immensely. Lovely words, um, and, and beautifully done. And I think, I don't know if you share this, um, Micah and, uh, and Alan, but... Um, the fact that he's had this little illness and, and it's kind of, I think, probably made his mind up for him. It's a kind of a, a better way to go than perhaps be shown the door should they have had a few more bad results. Yep, agreed. I think sometimes when you're in football, you're so in tune with what you've got to do, being the best, going to training, working as hard as possible. But sometimes you just have to take a step back, don't you, and look at the bigger picture. He's 76 years of age, he's done what he is is wanted in the game, he's a legend of the game, and now it's time for him to put his feet up. And we always have that desire to want to be in football, whether it's coaching, whether it's manager, pundits, or actual playing, but now's the time for him to, you know, go out at the very top. And... Yeah, it's a it's a sad day for football because he did bring so much. Even when we you know we was laughing and joking about when he was squaring up to people just in his recent history, he still got all the appetite for football, which is great to see. But ultimately, you've got to put your health first and your family. Football is great, but life is better. And I am really pleased that he's he's decided to to do that himself. He deserves to go out on his terms, no one else's because of who and what he is. And you know, you just you just read that list out of where he's been as a manager and the stress. And I know, I know that the finance and the money's always brought into it, but the stress that managers go through and that he's gone through it at various different places, albeit whether that's England or whether it's coming back to, to Crystal Palace again this season. But you know what? When you when you put all that to one side, he is a bloody good person and he's a really, really nice bloke. And for him to go out on his terms, I'm pleased with that. He deserves that. 
And I hope we can take a rest um, uh, and look back and think, wow, what a bloody amazing career he's had. He really has a, an extraordinary career, hasn't he? So so many national teams he's managed as well, with the pinnacle, obviously, and managing your own country. I always think with... I'm, I've met Roy, obviously, on many occasions, and, and he's just not only a real gentleman, but he's he's also incredibly intelligent and articulate. And I always think he expressed himself well, even when things weren't going very well after matches, didn't he? Always, always found the right words f- f- for the occasion. Classy man. Full of full of class, wasn't he? he? Was yeah. We all know that the hurt that goes with football and how you feel after a game. But the vast majority of time, I mean, it must be so difficult to keep on biting your lip as a as a manager when things aren't going well for you. But um, more often than not, he always did that, and um, I think that that sort of sums him up who and what he is. I suppose it's, I mean, in all careers, there are ups and downs, aren't there? With, um, and it is, was, you know, a lot of ups and obviously some downs, some, you know, sometimes rising to the top, getting the Liverpool job, for example, which didn't quite work out for him. And the same with England. With England, I, I kind of said it in my intro, didn't I? That I've, you know, he, he didn't have the players that they've now got. There's no question about that. <clears throat> At that stage of his of, of, of England's career, well, apart from you, Mike, I, I, I presume that's why you suddenly developed a, a tickly cough. <laughs> what was he like to play under? Well, I did. He, he never called me up. That that's oh, sorry, of course not. <laughs> why be? Well, that's why there? he's such a football educated, great coach. He knows good players and bad players. <laughs> not not one call up, Micah. Not one, not one call up. Honestly, no. he's just gone right. I mean, I couldn't have held him in higher esteem, but he's just gone. <laughs> he's just gone higher now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, 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 I remember you talking about he didn't call you up for the major tournament. I didn't realise he'd never got you into a squad. I, well, he, he might have got me into one. No. I, I just can't remember it. Yeah. I just. I was I spat my dummy out like a big baby that I was at the time and yeah, when he didn't call me up for the Euros after winning the Premier League. <laughs> Did you spit your dummy out publicly? A little bit. So the reason why, for those who have not heard it, is because I wasn't in the he wanted me to go on standby and he got Stuart Pierce to ring me. If he would have rang me himself and just told me, I would have respected him. We don't all like hearing the truth, but you can respect someone when they give you the truth. But he knew the relationship I had with Stuart Pierce, and Stuart Pierce said, he rings me up, I'm buzzing. Like I said before, buzzing. And he said, Roy's not gonna take you. But in the... (laughs) (laughs) Why is it funny? It's not funny, Mike. It's It's fucking hilarious, I love it. In the same conversation, Stuart Pearce said, I'm going to be taking the Olympic team. And that's when I said, okay, I won't go on standby for England and then I'll go to the Olympics. But then the media said, Micah refuses to go on standby for his country. So I got all sorts of dogs abuse in the media, but that wasn't the case. I just wanted to go to the Olympics. Anyway, so this is not, you're not quite the person to have on for his tribute, are you? <laughs> but I still respect him of and course. I still love of him. Of course. Just yeah. shows you the measure of a man that I am. Yeah. He, he didn't have the squad though, Alan, did he really with, no, with he England didn't. at that point? It was probably the, I would say, you know, Wayne Rooney aside, they, you know, and Sterling possibly, they, they, they wasn't the best generation of, of England players. That's 
kind of come subsequent, isn't it, with that emergence of so much young talent? Yeah, I mean, what was the game? Was uh, ice? Was Iceland? Was it the game that uh, that was? Yeah, I mean, that was that was the one that did for him, wasn't it? That was a that was a dreadful night for uh, for England and for him and for everyone who uh, who loves English football. It just you know you need as well as being a really good coach. You do whoever, however good you are, you still need a little bit of luck at times, you know. And in terms of having the right squad with the right attitudes at the right time. And no, that that wasn't a good time for uh, for England. No, it wasn't England's best team. Do you think he was an underdog coach? What in terms of what having having a squad that you could sort of I don't know motivate or make better or what is what? What do you yeah. mean? So I'm I'm talking about you know it, it works at a club like Crystal Palace. Say they're playing you know, big teams or mm. the t- bigger clubs and stuff, but he could get that togetherness and that discipline, that kind of structure, a way of playing. Um, rather than kind of a, a coach that would go at players. And I'm just thinking perhaps that why it didn't possibly work so much at, at Liverpool, for example, where they Yeah, want, possibly, yeah. When you've got, you've got to play on the front foot, haven't you, when, when you're Liverpool manager. You can't be, can't be sort of reserved and you need to sit or sit back and, and wait. To, you, you have to go out and attack and that's the way that it has to be at those particular football clubs. That, that's not necessarily Roy's style. But you're also got to be take, dictated by who and what you've got available to you as a as a coach or as a manager. Okay, um, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk to a Crystal Palace expert, Dan Cook, who's going to join us to to talk beyond Roy Hodgson and uh, about Crystal Palace, where they are, where they should be, where they're going to go next, and of course, the incumbent new manager, who we believe will be Oliver Glasner. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is Football with Micah Richards, Alan Shearer and me, Gary Lineker. And uh, joining us uh, for the second half, uh, we've got a guest on, Dan Cook, who is host of uh, the podcast Hopkin Looking to Curl One, which uh, focuses purely on Crystal Palace. Uh, a warm welcome, Dan. Um, I think I know where the title for the podcast comes from, but perhaps you can explain to our listeners who might not be Crystal Palace fans. Hey Gary, hi everyone. Um, basically, the podcast title comes from the 1997 playoff final against Sheffield United. Uh, to be honest, quite an unremarkable game for the neutral, but it is a bit of Sky Sports commentary from the goal that saw us promoted to the Premier League, uh, with David Hopkins scoring in, I believe, the 91st minute to win 1-0 in a very, very hot day at Wembley. And it's just stuck as part of Palace folklore ever since, really. I wonder if when he when he did that, that he knew that one day there'd be a <laughs> podcast named after him. Immortalised, yeah. Maybe, maybe. He apparently <laughs> actually does know the podcast exists and, and loves the fact. So maybe I'll get him on as a guest one day. Yeah, you, you most certainly should. Uh, Dan, we've had our say on, on Roy Hodgson. Obviously, he's been an integral part of, of the club in two spells over, over the last six or seven seasons. What are your thoughts and perhaps um, on, as a spokesperson of, of Crystal Palace fans, their thoughts on, on Roy Hodgson? I think you have to temper it with the situation that he encountered when he first came in the first time around. Uh, for anyone that isn't particularly up to date with recent history in relation to Crystal Palace, he came in shortly after or a few days after Frank De Boer was relieved of his duties and the club were reeling from that particular point and he really did give us a sense of stability. You know, he is a local lad. He is someone that has been around South London as a young man and even though he has had such a vast and varied managerial career, I think he always had a real affinity with the club and when he got the opportunity to take over even though it wasn't in ideal circumstances given the start to the season we had had he brought a real sense of calmness to everybody and actually steered us to a very high finish in that first season uh, if you look at his return at the back end of the previous campaign when Patrick Vieira was given his marching orders he once again gave us that stability and in that 10 game run uh, we won in our first game under him against Leicester scored in the last minute at Selhurst and it was a real sort of explosion of joy for everybody and then from that point on we went on to get wins away at Leeds and at Southampton in very fine fashion to be fair this season has not gone to plan I think every Crystal Palace fan knows that and even if you're a neutral from the outside looking in you can see that the results and the form has not been good enough, but that doesn't take away from the legacy that he undoubtedly has as a Crystal Palace manager and as someone that will always be a huge part of our history. Yeah, and it, it, it'll always be, I presume, considered um, and given a lot of love by the, the Crystal Palace fans going forward. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, it's, it's obviously a difficult thing to navigate because if you look at the situation as things stand, you know, the form that we've been in, 
any manager would be under pressure regardless of their standing within the game or you know their age etc but it has sort of led to a little bit of I think backlash towards the club for the manner in which this has come around but if you actually look at the statement that has been released by Roy it's so so perfectly worded and I think there's a real level of respect from him towards the club and vice versa it's just not an ideal circumstance I guess uh, that we have parted ways like this because the plan was always for him to do one more year and then wave goodbye in the summer but you know I think everything about his statement is incredibly classy and that sort of sums him up really I was just about to say exactly the same thing in terms of that sort of sums Roy up the class that he has um, both in football and out of football because he's such a genuine nice honest man what what are you what are your thoughts on people that have said and I've heard them say it this afternoon about it was a mistake to let Roy continue in the, this summer to go ahead with this season it is a difficult thing to nail down 100% because if you look at the circumstances around when he first left the club uh, and was of course replaced by Patrick Vieira the squad at that point needed refreshing. It needed a more youthful feel to it. And we immediately signed players like Mark Gay, Joachim Anderson, Michael Elise. There was this injection of, of positivity via Patrick Vieira. But of course, when that went sour, Roy Hodgson came back in. It wasn't necessarily a, a decision that many Palace fans expected, but I'm led to believe that it was a call that the players actually asked for themselves because they knew about his training structure and the way that he could get them set up in a very solid fashion. Uh, I don't necessarily blame the hierarchy for bringing him back for a full campaign at the start of this season because the form that we had at the back end of the previous campaign was so good and the squad had been rejuvenated to such an extent that it felt as though he was able to you know spread his wings somewhat and play potentially a more expansive style of football he has been hamstrung massively by injuries to squad members you know Chet Decore who's a key part of our midfield has been missing since November you've I think it's four or five times that Michael Elise and Abireza have been able to start together so he could quite rightly point towards that and say that he hasn't ever really been able to get the squad playing as it should be but unfortunately as everyone knows it is a results business and you know if you, if you look at the form and, and this game this evening against Everton is that absolutely huge for us in terms of a relegation battle so you know I don't think it's necessarily the wrong thing to make the change but there is certainly no ill will held towards Roy Hodgson. It was interesting obviously in recent weeks we've we've seen some banners being lifted by by some of the crowd um, behind the goal some dissatisfaction at, um, at perhaps the management and coaching side and perhaps the overall uh, running of the football club. W will this placate those supporters I know it's come in unusual circumstances because I think ideally the club wanted to get Roy to the end of the season I mean if you look at the situation as it stands I think Crystal Palace in many ways we are a club that many people look at the squad and they think well they won't go down you know Roy Hodgson will be the definition of stability the squad's good enough to, to stay up but we have gradually slipped further and further towards the relegation zone and in this particular instance you know the games against Arsenal we lost that and we fell behind after two minutes against Brighton we set up relatively defensively once again fell behind in two minutes from a set piece this isn't something that is a knee-jerk feeling for Crystal Palace fans and again you know there is nuance to it I don't think I blame the board personally for bringing him back in the summer but when you do that and you pretty much give the impression that you are going to be treading water figuratively for 12 months there is always going to be a sense that we should be kicking on and I think that 
has bled into the way the fans view things. That said, you know, everything about the uh, seemingly imminent appointment of Oliver Glasner is something that, you know, the Crystal Palace fans are infused by. And I don't think we should necessarily be beating around the head for feeling enthusiastic about that because, you know, he's a Europa League winning manager and someone that hopefully will be able to inject a real sense of momentum into the squad again. Oliver Glasner, is, from my understanding, it's not been announced yet, but I think it might be by the time this podcast goes out later uh, this evening. Um, I understand he's um, been appointed now and and that will be announced imminently. Um, he's got a decent track record, of course, with Eintracht Frankfurt, um, a runner-up in the um, German Cup and also won the Europa League. So uh, it, 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 it's a movement on. Do you think the fans will be excited by his appointment? Without a doubt. I mean... Obviously, I can't speak for every club in the league, but when you've got a team that are flirting with a potential relegation battle or in one, depending on how this uh, game this evening against Everton goes, to be able to go out into the market and appoint a manager that has won a Europa League as recently as 2022 feels like a significant coup. And, you know, if he wants to come in and, and build the club, hopefully he can come in and, and really get us playing in the first five or six games and stave off any worries of, of potential relegation. And then we can kick on from there. It's an appointment that certainly fills me with enthusiasm. I know plenty of people have been burnt by the Frank de Boer appointment prior to Roy coming in the first time, but you know we can't just go with tried and tested Premier League managers forever. I think this is a roll of the dice, but it feels like an educated one to me. Why is it that the fans of, of I don't think it's a mutiny as such. I don't think it's it's that far spread. It doesn't seem like an Everton situation from previous years. People like ourselves, we look at a club like Crystal Palace and we we see it as a, you know, considering it's not state owned or anything like that. It seems like a pretty well run club that's been very stable. It stayed in the Premier League. Um, is, is there perhaps, do you think they're wishing for, for more than is actually realistically possible or not? Oh, fans will always do that to, uh, to an extent. I always feel as though this is something, and it's no one's fault necessarily if you're looking from the outside in. You know, there's this assumption that, you know, should be careful what you wish for, etc., etc. But I say it time and again, Crystal Palace fans don't expect trophies. We don't even expect European football. I would argue, alongside Fulham, we're potentially the biggest club in England to have never won a major trophy. You don't get into supporting this club for glory, by definition. We want to see a long-term plan that is put in place, not necessarily to play free-flowing football, but with the Category 1 Academy that we have, we want to see a pathway there for young players to come through and really make their mark because South London is a real hotbed of, of talent and we all know that it's something that has been spoken about not just in South London but countrywide. And even though Roy Hodgson has done a fantastic job for us across these two spells, because of the nature of that appointment and indeed the ownership structure with John Texter, Steve Parrish, two other Americans who previously had been linked with a potential move to buy Chelsea, I think the fan base are just feeling as though it's a little bit fractured at the moment and we want to get back the sense of unity that we had you know, back in 2013 when we won promotion to the Premier League, when it felt as though everyone was on the same page and pulling in the same direction rather than having these different sort of pots that are, you know, sapping energy, shall we say. Obviously, fans don't have control on, on who owns it. So how do you get that back? It is a difficult thing, obviously. If, if you look at John Texter individually, he has a multi-club model. Uh, he owns Molenbeek over in Belgium. He owns Botafogo in Brazil. He owns Lyon in France. And he has come in and from everything that has been reported in the press, he wants to make a splash. He wants to make you know big signings. He has already put a significant amount of money into the club. I personally am a huge fan of Steve Parrish. I always have been. But there is this sense of worry I suppose you can say from the fan base that 
the ideas of John Texter and Steve Parrish are butting heads up against one another. Obviously, we don't know if that is the case. There's obviously a lot that goes on behind the scenes that will never be reported uh, fully. But that in itself is something which has led to a sense of dissatisfaction amongst the fans. And I think if this appointment goes well and we can, you know, go hopefully into the summer as a Premier League club and make progressive signings, get a few more young players into the team and feel as though everyone is back singing from the same hymn sheet rather than this situation where the board seem to be at each other's throats, then I think the club and fan base will be a lot happier than they were uh, two or three weeks ago. Just just on that, Dan, you, you mentioned the signings potentially in the summer. For, for Crystal Palace, what sort of signings would you be looking at or be happy with? Because you're obviously fighting against the likes of Wolves who are doing really good now and, and Brighton and, and those sort of criteria teams. Again, we don't expect big money signings. We went down that route. We had Mamadou Sacco and Christian Benteke come in from Liverpool in the space of 12 months for a combined £60 million and it didn't work out well for us because they're, they're huge money for a club of our size and there's next to no resale value. If you look at Mark Gay, you look at Elise, you look at Bireyeze, even if you look at Adam Walton, who we signed on the last day of the January window from Blackburn, they are signings that have high potential, that are high quality footballers, have resale value. You know, the whole process of our transfer strategy over the last two or three years has been to try and get those players in and then sell them at the optimum time. I would suggest this summer is probably the first summer in which we will see one or potentially Essentially, two high-profile departures, obviously, as long as we stay in the Premier League. And then using the transfer budget alongside the amount of money that is generated from those sales, hopefully uh, we can continue to go into the market and, and get young players in that can grow with us. And not necessarily put them in a shop window, but provide them a platform in the Premier League to play in a London-based club that hopefully have a style of football that, that suits them. I think that really, I can't speak for every Palace fan, but it's certainly what I would like to see moving forward happen more and more. I know they've been injured quite a bit this season, haven't really played together that much but how exciting for a Crystal Palace fan is it to watch Eze and Elisa wonderful talents yeah they're both absolutely incredible and to be honest when they're playing together they dovetail in a way that is just magical to watch at times you know every Premier League footballer is obviously supremely talented but you see the sort of telepathy between the two of them when they are really clicking and you realise that there is another level or two that the pair of them can go to and speaking specifically about Michael Elise you know he was fantastic when he came in from Reading initially but this season even though it has been an injury blighted campaign he has gone up another level or three it's quite incredible what he's able to do he scored one goal away at Luton albeit we did lose that game but it was almost as if he was in the playground and decided he was going to grab the ball and just do it himself he beat two or three men on the flank cut inside and put it in the top corner uh, he is a truly elite footballer and hopefully if he does move on he will go on to play at the very top of the game I would expect him to be able to and Ibira Eze as well I tip that to be goal of the season the following day Garnacho did that <laughs> did, overhead yeah. kick um, <laughs> which was doing yeah. I, I, I suppose I'm a Leicester fan obviously so I know what it's like it's kind of similar when you get great players great young players like that you, you kind of you want them to play wonderfully but when they play wonderfully you know that someone's going to take them off you it is it is a very difficult situation to be in and you know you look at our academy by definition we had Aaron Wambasaka 
he came through our academy. He was with us for roughly a year as a first team player. And then he goes off to Manchester United, you know, 50 million pounds, helps the club hugely financially. But even with the transfer strategy we have now, we have to be realistic that players like Elise, Gay, Eze, they're not coming to Crystal Palace to be here for life. They want to be able to play in a system that works for them help the club along the way and then go for a vast sum of money, hopefully, but obviously move on. And it is a mindset that you have to get yourself into because realistically, without you know a state backing us as a football club, we're not going to be able to hold on to those players for the entirety of their career. Yeah, before I let you go, Dan, uh, by the time this goes out, it'll probably be around kickoff uh, at Goodison Park. Confident or worried? I'm absolutely, I don't know whether I could swear on this podcast, uh, nervous, nervous. To be fair, I was just going to say I was bricking it, to be honest. I, our record against yeah. Everton is yeah. absolutely horrendous in recent years. Anyway, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the game that Frank Lampard kept Everton up in, we were 2-0 up in that game and, and somehow managed to, to lose that. And it ended up with Patrick Vieira uh, kicking an Everton fan on the pitch as they invaded. So it has some pretty <laughs> bad memories for us in recent times. And to be honest, you know, as a Crystal Palace fan, we know what a galvanising effect points deductions can actually have on a football club. We had one in 2010. We ended up surviving on the last day of the season at Hillsborough that year. Uh, and it really brought the whole club together. And I feel like Everton at the moment, under Sean Dyche, are in sort of, not the perfect position, but they really are pulling in the same direction. And, you know, a Monday night game under the floodlights at Goodison, I'm just not particularly confident. But who knows? Maybe, you know, they will want to send... So Roy you take a point with, now then? I, I'll, take, I'll take a point immediately. <laughs> I'll take a nil-nil like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, Dan, thank you very much. As someone who did actually shit himself, you can say I'm shitting myself <laughs> on this podcast well there we go I'll let you do it for me Gary thanks for joining us and uh, don't forget um, particularly Crystal Palace fans Hopkin looking to curl one uh, is Dan's pod thanks very much for joining us Um, uh, that's it for our special episode goodbye from me goodbye from me goodbye from me thanks Dan